for the first time, I, like, I realized like, what it really means to be connected. Like, I, I mourned it. I was lamenting while I was at camp. And I just wanted to say that and, and say thank you for allowing me to go and serve uh, at camp. Before I get uh, into the word this morning, I want to kind of, I want to do two things. I want to, one, I want to give everyone an idea of what it is uh, going to look like for our life group. So the purpose of this is for us to kind of step out together to grow and learn as a church with the intentions of expanding our life groups by inviting people that aren't part of our church into the groups. So for the, for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be t- telling our stories, and we're going to do that through modeling it through storying. And that's where you're going to get a big sheet of paper. You might not finish it the first night. You'll get to take it home. And what you're going to do is you're going to set these boxes, and we got nine boxes, and you're going to tell your God story. So when you invite people in, you can really share your story in like, 60 seconds. And it's going to train us up, and, and I'll do some handouts, and we'll do some scripture. But really, the goal is for us to sit around the table to hear each other's story so we can get to know one another intimately, deeply, so we can be praying for each other, so we can have fellowship with one another. My desire and my prayer is that we can multiply our groups from our community, what we're involved in, inviting friends in, with the sole purpose of creating and designing disciples that follow Jesus. And so I do want to give you a heads up. I would love for everybody to join, but I, I understand life is crazy. Um, this will just be one of many of our opportunities to train and, and grow together. Um, my heart out of this is to launch three groups, one in Okanagan, one in OMAC, and then just a random one somewhere. But the goal would be just for us to, to build community um, so we can build the kingdom. And so it's funny, as I, as I was preparing at camp uh, this, this message, um, because I love these verses. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived standing outside They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. This is Jesus' response. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my mothers and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for how you sent your son to reestablish the family. And that we all get to be included in that. Lord, as we unpack these five verses, may you be with us this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. The beauty of this last month, now please, when I say this, don't, don't take it the wrong way. Because I love the church. I really, truly do. But just think really quick, how many churches are in this valley? So when I decided to take this job here as a pastor, I started researching the different churches. And I mean, we got like 20-something churches, big, small, uh, different denominations, non-denominations. 
But I started thinking about it as I was coming here. I was like, there's a ton of churches in this little old town. A lot of churches I'm going to have to compete with, right? Like, I was like, dude, this is going to be tough. And so I love the church, but I'm also, I also have to say I hate the church. And the reason I hate the church is because we weren't designed or created to be separate. We were, we were designed and created to be united together. So this last month, the reason I completely love Young Life Assignment, because you'll find it in no other, no other ministry, that you'll bring in a group of individuals for an entire month called the Assignment Team, and we come from all different faith backgrounds. You got Presbyterians, you got Baptists, you got, you got some CMAs, hey, okay? Like you got all these different background faiths with one mission, and to me, that is the desire God has for us for the kingdom. It's, it's this one mission. It is to share the gospel clearly. And this last month, as I got to witness middle school friends coming to saving faith, as our speaker, Scott, got to share day in and day out for a month with five different camp weeks, each week around 450 kids, getting to hear the gospel, and some of them for the very first time. What I witnessed one day on the second week there as I started preparing again for my sermons and trying to still be connected here, but there, and I'm I'm reading this, I wept. I wept because what Jesus is commanding of his folks is sometimes you, you have to choose him over our family. And we all know family is super important. I've said it many times. I am the biggest mama's boy ever. If she was to call me today to come home, I'm there. Nothing can keep me away from my mother except, except, except doing the Lord's will. And I remember when I told my mom I was going to leave a great job, great pay, benefits to go and do this thing called Young Life, where mom, I have to fundraise to get a check. Yeah, I don't know if I have benefits. Yeah, Mom, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to move out and, and, and room with a bunch of guys. And she said, you are crazy. Like, what are you doing? I was like, Mom, I, don't, I have no idea. And it's kind of what Jesus models for us. So this morning, as we get to unpack this, as, as Jesus is teaching us, He is establishing the kingdom and a new nation. He is also establishing a new family. His family is characterized by a radical obedience to to reveal the will of God. A family that sticks closer than a blood brother because it is a family of God. Verses 31 through 35 present Jesus' vision for a new community where spiritual kinship, not physical relationship, is the fundamental basis of a family. So let's read this again. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And the simple idea is I think about who is sitting at Jesus' table. 
And this is where my heart for this idea of the table connect group, the table group. This is where actually it came from is this scripture here. This simple idea, when I look around my table, I want individuals who are broken in deep need of love. Folks who are considered outcasts, folks that are are unwanted, maybe unclean, unpolished. Those are the individuals that I want at my table. It's easy to have clean people at your table with manners. One of the things that camp does is they they call it family-style eating, where they sit around and they pass the, the food around. And a lot of kids, I did not grow up in that style. My first time to camp as a 30-year-old, like, what is this? I'm used to grabbing my meal from the kitchen and going to the couch. People in separate rooms. But what Jesus' goal is, he's bringing everybody to the table. I think of in the scriptures prior, we, we talked about Matthew and the sinners and the tax collectors. He wanted everybody at the table. Jesus was here redefining family. He was reorienting, reorienting the thinking of his followers. He was putting a priority on relationship. He was reassuring his disciples of his relationship to them. He was revealing the mark of a true Christian. And concerning this mark, it is still obedience that mostly clearly demonstrates the relationship of Jesus. It's this simple and beautiful idea. is who do we submit to? Who do we surrender to and who do we follow? When a person becomes a true follower of Jesus, they are called to a whole new way of living. For me, I had to I had to figure that out. Because for me growing up, family was everything. I remember summers of going to Alabama with my cousins to work our farm. And and my uncle Mac would always talk about this is our family. This is our tribe. Households normally have family members that are on the inside with the crowds on the outside. But Jesus, in verses 31 through 33, he has a role reversal. As his family is coming seeking him, and he's inside with the outsiders. you got to think about that for a second here. When Jesus called his first disciples, they were called to leave their father in their boats. This idea that we leave everything to follow and chase after. But here the order is reversed. Consider his Mark account. And his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and brother are outside seeking you. This conversation is going back to verses 20, 21, when his family went to Nazareth to find Jesus. And they're like, this dude lost his mind. He's talking about, I am the kingdom? What are you talking about? If you look back at chapter, uh, uh, chapter, chapter 2, or chapter 3, verses 20, I know uh, Volmer kind of spoke about it while I was gone. Then Jesus entered a house again, and a crowd gathered so that that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They said he is out of his mind. This idea that the mother's love for her son was like, my kid is in trouble. People are are coming after him, persecuting him, shooting him down. The Pharisees are are talking against him. Like a mom, a mama bear, like if you're a mom here, when someone talks about your kid, what's the first? You want to, right? Like I watched Lizzie at camp with David it was hilarious. This kid, Rip, pushes him. And the, 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 the light for Lizzie was like, I thought Rip was going to get his face torn off. <laughs> like, I was like, 
And I've never seen Lizzie, like Lizzie's like, oh, super passive. But like, it's her child, right? So the mother is sitting here thinking to herself, my kid is, is, is doing all these crazy things. People are charging him all these different things. They're talking about him. I mean, just the verses after that in, the, in 22, and the teachers in the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Bezebel. Like the fact that they're calling him out saying he's a demon, he's possessed, he's this. And the mom just wants to remove her son from that turmoil. But but Jesus, as Jesus concluded the encounter, his family arrived, assuming he needed to be restrained for his own safety. They sent word to Jesus, calling him. They they probably traveled from Jerusalem and from Nazareth to Jerusalem, 40-something kilometers, worried. But the fact that Jesus didn't get up and respond like they thought he was going to respond. See, they thought, the family thought, well, he'll just come and go. He'll come with us. As I was reading this, I had to think about who was at the table to witness how Jesus' response was to his family. See, the disciples had left, to, left everything to follow, follow Jesus. James and John, they left their father and their family's fishing business. They responded to the radical call of Jesus to become insiders. They, their response would radically affect their relationships. I know for myself, becoming a Christian, it meant that I had to give up what was comfortable and known, which was my peer group, my friends that I was raised for 35 years in Marina, California. This group of individuals that I hung out with, I played football with, I ate their mama's cooking. I had to leave all of that because God had established a new family for me, of folks that want to be healed. They want to, they want to ask for forgiveness. They want to show grace. They want to show mercy. But most importantly, they want to follow God. I don't know what you've had to leave in your past to follow God. But what Jesus is sitting here saying is, I am going to establish a new family. See, Jesus helped them gain a new perspective, a new priority of family relationships, relationship with Jesus and those who follow him. As long as the first remains first and the second remains second. That was the beauty of this last month of camp. Like, where in the world do you you see a group of individuals from so many different denominations for one purpose of serving the Lord? I wish we could say the church does it. But again, we wouldn't have 20 churches here in our community. And I think that's the beauty of my heart's desire to really want to push for young life. Because of the walls that it could break down. The communities that it could form. Because for young life, you're chasing after the simple truth of the gospel. And I think every church in our valley wants to share the gospel. Because we're gospel people. That's the family I want to belong to. I want to belong to a group of individuals that want to chase after those that love Jesus to share Jesus. It doesn't have to get any more complicated or difficult. And I think that's the beauty of what he is saying here. He understands that Jesus' mother Mary is mentioned. It may be at this point that she is fully understanding the uniqueness of her son. Or, or the fact that she's going to have to submit to the pain that she's going to lose her son. I, I have no idea what Mary could be thinking during this time. But something in her soul said to go rush after my kid. 
I, I think it's after witnessing his intense schedule and the various pressures that his ministry was placing upon him, his mother and siblings tried to get him to take a break. And, and, and sometimes the rest is good, but are we resting in the Lord? And that's, that's the beauty of, of here. Mary understood what was going to happen. If you, if you go with me to Luke, as I, was, as I was preparing this, I, I, I was drawn to Luke, chapter 2, verses 33 and 35. As a mother to know this about your son, no wonder Mary had deep concern. Verse 33 reads, the child's father and mother, uh, uh, mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. This idea that this prophet is speaking over her child and trying to reveal who he is. In other words, Mary lived for 30 years under the shadow of the cross. The pain of his death was perhaps too much for her to bear. So she wanted to restrain him from, from more publicity and more conflict. And who's to blame her? To know that your child was sent with a purpose to redeem broken individuals that's a lot for a mother to carry. But there's grace in that, and I think God didn't reveal completely who, who Jesus was to Mary because think of the weight on Mary's shoulders. Think about Moses when he's seen the face of Jesus and, and, and he, he was like in awe. Peter, when he's seen the light of Jesus. And for a mother to see that would have been too much for him, her to carry. But that, that shouldn't stop her from seeking who Jesus truly is. See, in, in verse 34, you get a sense from the tone of the text that the crowd was expecting Jesus to immediately stop what he was doing and give preference to his family. That is reasonable when you consider the culture of those times. In fact, some have criticized Jesus for his response. The crowd doubtless expected him to make a way for his physical family to enter into his space. But his response was rather shocking. It seems as if he ignored their call. I hate to say it, sometimes we do have to ignore the call of our family when they pull us out of what we're really supposed to be doing, and that's following Jesus. I've said it before, I shared with you the story of my younger brother, who he struggles and got addiction issues and, and his life is just a mess. And I love him to death and I want him to know Jesus. I want, to, I want him to experience who Jesus is, but I can't, I can't enter in, I can't enter into that relationship at the cost of my salvation, at the, at the cost of me stumbling. And so even though I pour into him and we talk, and our relationship is way better in the last year than it has ever been, I still have to guard myself when I enter into those conversations with him. Because he doesn't know Jesus, so I can't hold him to the same standards 
that I hold myself at. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, okay, don't worry about the religious standards. How about just enter into a relationship with me? Because what happens when we're in a relationship with people who love Jesus? It kind of rubs off. At camp, I could see these kids one day one, they walk in, they're, they're like this, like, oh, we're here at this camp. Ugh, standing here. Ugh. Oh, they're talking about Jesus. Like, you literally see them kids just standing. But by day three, day four, what you see is this, man, there's something unique about him. And by day five, they're like, who is Jesus? It's this idea when we surround ourselves with Jesus-minded people who love God and love his word and want to be obedient and want to follow, not out of, not out of like obligation, but out of love and relationship, it changes everything. When kids enter into camp and they can see that these folks are crazy and wild and fun and joyful and laughing, but at the same time, we're sharing the gospel the walls that get broken down. So how do we have a camp experience here in our valley? Like how do we set it up a place where people can see our joy and our love and our, our togetherness and our oneness, our uniqueness, and see God through that to break down walls? Some of the easiest place to do that is around the table. The invitation in. A barbecue, a block party, a trunk of treat, a water slide event, a day at the park together where we invite the community. With not the sole purpose of growing the numbers of the church, please, please hear my heart. I can care less if we never grow. What I care about, are we seeking the lost? Because if we make the one thing the one thing, I don't care if we grow numbers. Are people getting to know who Jesus is? Will they be part of his kingdom, whether at another church or maybe here or somewhere else? But will they get an opportunity to experience the love of Christ? Will they sit around his table? Someone asked me at camp, Jeff, what are your numbers? What, what are your numbers? What do you want to get to? And he was flabbergasted when I was, honestly, man, my church is dope. If we don't grow anymore, I'm cool. What will hurt me, though, is if we're a church that doesn't seek the lost and create relationship, create safe places. That is what I care about. And he looked at me, and he's like, that is so stupid. And he's on Young Life staff. I'm like, what do you mean it's so stupid? Think about it. Think about this. Go with me on a journey. And you talk about family ties. They, they might never darken our doorway. But what if we created a space and a place for people to get healing for their family hurts and habits? If we could create a space that can protect the families, if we could create a space where people can come that have addictions or alcoholism or pornography or drugs, and they know that they can enter into a space with people that's safe, that loves them, it doesn't have to be done at the church. It can be done at our homes. Now, granted, trust me, as a pastor, you know, if you're not growing, you know, something's wrong. And part of me is like, oh, God, please grow. But at the end of the day, what I feel like God's called me to say is, 
It doesn't matter if your numbers grow if hearts aren't changed and baptisms are not happening and people aren't coming to repent. That's change. That, that's valley kingdom mindset. So when I was off at camp, when I was reading this scripture and, and I'm preparing it for next week, when we look at chapter four and, 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 and ch- just to give you a little glimpse, you know, uh, of, of, of Mark chapter four, I don't know if you, you've read ahead, but it's the parable of the sower. And so as I'm sitting here, over the, I did like five weeks of sermons, like prepping while I was at camp. And as I started reading, you know, a lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus calms a storm. You know what our valley doesn't have? And that I was praying for. We have one out in Pat, Pateras and Brewster area, but like from o- Okanagan to Tenasket, no celebrate recovery. Like, think about this. I, I'm just, I'm, I just want to, I'm not trying to use this message to like push my agenda, but my heart is, think about it, right? Think about this. We know there are individuals in this valley with broken families. Am I right? We know there are individuals in this valley with alcohol and drug addictions. Am I right? We know there are people in this valley with issues with porn and maybe adultery. Am I right? We know there are people in this valley that are codependent. Am I right? But we don't have a place for them to go. And I started thinking to myself, I just started scrolling and trying to find, is there a place for individuals? Because if the church, I hate to say this too, ladies and gentlemen, like, when I think of family ties, what God is trying to do is like, let's, let's crush all the stereotypes. Let's, let's with move all the boundaries so they can have a place at the table. And as a church, are we creating that space for them? Because that's what Jesus is sitting here saying. If you, if you think about this here in, in verse 34, then he looked at those seated in the circle around him. I have to believe as Jesus got called from the outside, he looked at his table. He, got, he goes, I got a tax collector. I got a sinner. I got demon possessed. I got a woman caught in adultery. I've got an individual. I mean, I, the, the list can go on of the brokenness around his table. Then I got these dudes that were fishermen. They, they're, they're not no scribes and Pharisees. They don't know how to preach the word. But you know what? I can train them up. If you're trainable and teachable, and I'll walk alongside you, I'll love on you. What Jesus is showing is it's not about the familial relationship. That doesn't give you a guarantee to have access to Jesus, even if you're his mother or siblings. The access to Jesus is, are you following me? Are you surrendering to the will of the Father? That's what he's pointing out. And I laugh as I was looking at this. I look about 18 years earlier or so when he's about 12, 11 or 12 years old, when, he's, when they're on their way and they're, they're doing their yearly uh, thing in Jerusalem, and they're walking in this big old caravan of people, and then they get to their destination, and then they realize Jesus is nowhere to be found. And where is Jesus at this young age? What's he say? He's like, I'm in my father's house. And the reason I share that with you is because at a young age, as a child, when his parents say, let's go, he submits and he'll, he's like, yes, I'll follow you and I'll go with you. But in this time, in, in this period right here, he's been baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit to go on mission for God. 
He's like, mom and dad, or mom, brothers, leave me be. I got, I got a job to fulfill. I got a duty to, to these people. And that's where I just, I think, I'm struggling. Struggling because I, I keep thinking of what God is asking of this church of OVAC. I get it, I'm new, and I don't have a lot of experience. But I, I, keep, I keep thinking to myself, like, do we hurt? Camp exposed something to me this past month when these kids were coming off the buses or out of vehicles. Without the teaching of Jesus, these kids are all damned for hell. A complete separation from God. And so if my heart can hurt for middle school friends at camp, why can't my heart break here? Why can't our church's heart? I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying that no one's heart doesn't break for the loss of our valley. But Jesus challenges us when he says our fruit. Fruit represents what you hurt for. And is our fruit the hurting of the loss? Do we feel convicted of just coming every Sunday and having something tickle our ear and feel good and check the box and go home? Are we going to be convicted of our neighbors that don't know Jesus or our coworkers that don't know Jesus? Because I love what Jesus says in verse 35. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus didn't pull any punches. It wasn't, it wasn't his family blood origin. It was the individuals that became disciples of Jesus. It was the people that was willing to submit to their own idols. To their, to their families, to their careers, to their cars, to their luxuries. That's what Jesus is in here saying. See, Jesus had already been baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was on mission to establish his kingdom. This time, he did not heed the call. Instead, he continued to do what he had told his parents 18 years earlier. He was in the Father's house spending time with his new family. Jesus came to the Father's house to restore it, to recreate it. This was symbolized by the cleansing of the temple of the two separate occasions. But along the way, he knew that a new multi-ethnic spiritual temple would become a new house, a new household of God. And, and that's what's been convicting me as I've been gone this last month, as I've been sitting here praying and thinking and, and dreaming and desiring for us as a church to lean in together. Like, how can, we, how can we help others if we can't help ourselves? And how can we help others if we don't know each other? And that's why I, 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 I say... The, Man, that's why I say the life group to me is important. Sundays are magical and amazing. But it's when you have people that come into your house and, and, and they see your mess and you don't have to hide and you don't have to clean before you show up. You just show up. And we're together. 
And we're challenging, as men, we're challenging each other to stay faithful to our brides and our, and our kids. We're challenging each other to stay in the fight and not backslide because it's so easy and to give up the fight. So we can, we can be a tribe together. I put the title of Family Trade. As I was sitting at camp overlooking the mountains, and I started thinking of OVAC, if, if I was going to say, like, as a church, what we could produce, you guys already done that. You guys are God-fearing people. I know that. That's why I love this church. I'm like, man, this is awesome. But if I had a family trade, a, a niche for us in, in this church, man, it would be, it'd be saving the lost. And I don't say that flippantly. I, I mean, like, it would be us sometimes, like, living so dangerous that it's probably unhealthy. Like, living to the point of where we're in this valley so deep that we got the pulse of this valley. That when things arise, people know they come to OVAC first. Because when he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking out about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. As he mentioned, he was very countercultural. Some would say even rude, but we knew Jesus. He would never violate God's law. But because we know him, we should not be surprised at his speaking the truth clearly and without apology. The implication here is that it's not much that family relationships are in themselves unimportant, but rather that a higher priority, the call to discipleship in the light of the proclamation of God. Oh, man, that's what takes precedence. That's, that's the family matters. Again, I, I want to make sure you, you don't hear my heart in this. I truly believe family is important. I love my family. I love my immediate family, my extended family. I love my family. But man, I love my church family. I love God's family more than my own. A godly family is such a joy. And that's what I want for my family, my household. That's why we serve together. A month with my wife serving families at camp, these kids at camp, and then my wife hanging out with the assigned team and serving with them along with other spouses and kids. Like, we make this a family job. Like, this is, when you hired me, you didn't hire just me, you hired my wife. You hired my son, because eventually when he's old enough, he, he, I, I'm going to have him running and preaching too. Like, you laugh, but I'm serious, because my family... My earthly family, that's a family business I don't want to get into. Because all it was was pain and alcohol, abuse, adultery. That's not, that's not the family I want. I think that's why I missed you guys so much. Because when I was gone, I kept thinking, you know, I was that dad, like, watching the sermons of who's preaching. But more importantly, I wanted to see faces. I wanted to hear voices singing. I wanted to hear Sherry get up here and do announcements.
the beauty of God is he chose us as his family. He gave us the willing opportunity to enter into his kingdom. And I guess my heart breaks for the lost because, man, I know what it was like when he called me. This, this month at camp restored my mindset of my whole heart's desire is to chase the furthest out. I love you guys with everything I have. But man, I, I can't keep driving through this community and see folks hurting or going to football practice and seeing kids that, that are broken. The crazy thing is when we extend this relationship to Jesus, a couple things happen. Later, some of Jesus' siblings who come to repentance and faith, James and Judah, and Jude, called the Lord's brother. Mary, when she's seen her son on that cross, the full understanding and the full glimpse of God's glory came to realization. Those who have a believing household must never take this blessing for granted. It is so easy to hunker down in our household. And we can never take credit for it. Because if you were raised in a Christian household, that is not by your will. That is by God's will to protect that, to watch over that, to nurture that, to love that. We cannot forget his grace. We should should encourage others that God saves households and means towards the end is the church. And that's why I desire OVAC to be known in this valley as a church that loves families and will fight for families. Perhaps this is another reason that we should all, all, all we can do to seek a mature, united Christ. Because households are at stake. Don't take that lightly. The world we live in does not hold back from breaking down family values. But God has laid out a plan for his church. And we need to enter that battle. Not just for our our immediate family, but for every family. I want to finish with this last little, little piece here. As I was reading, something stuck out to me. And and I hope you hear when I say this that it was so beautiful. Before moving too close, we should not we should note that Jesus added a word that was not used when they called him. So when they called him, they said, Hey, your mother and brothers. But that last sentence, he he adds the word sister. And this is radical at that time. Because women didn't have a place. Women didn't have a voice. But what God does here is not only does he call his brother and his mother, he calls his sister. He establishes a place for women in the church. And he's bold. And you can't get mad at me if I say that. Jesus said it. It's in red. He makes it a point to say women are included at the table. Women's, a woman is just as significant as men in the family. And as a church, I believe we are learning to appreciate our sisters in a more meaningful way. We still have a way to go. 
But for us to be united and to really grow together, it, it, it takes, it's going to take us all, men and women, brothers and sisters, together united. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much how you challenge us and convict us. Be with us during this time as we get to celebrate you through our worship, Lord, and praise your name. Just be with us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We are going to play a couple songs on the song Waymaker. Before we play, we're going to do communion. And then we'll play the song and then we'll take it after.